This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Okay, hour two. Sportsnet today. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Logan Gordon along with you. Coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Coming off a Flames 4-3 loss in overtime to the Chicago Blackhawks last night. We'll dive more into that as the hour continues. First hour, we chat with Pete Labardius, Zeke Fricasi, NHL, little NFL mixed in there. And we're going to go on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline once more. Chat out the other NHL franchise in the province. And uh, our next guest loves, uh, you know, really two things in this world that I know Reed Wilkins loves more than anything, and that is uh, a fresh slice of pizza from atlas pizza and coming on calgary sports radio to chat about the oilers uh reed good afternoon sir how are you oh i'm doing quite well it's quite a pleasure to be on your show uh it's always great to have you on uh the atlas pizza is being set your way as we speak it might be a little cold by the time it gets up there but uh just make sure to microwave it for a couple minutes and you should be fine well, I'll need it. I got a late one tonight, so thanks. I'll need the fuel. <laughs> yeah, except for the West Coast trip there, the Oilers and the Kings tonight, 8.30, puck drop. And uh, look, Reed, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, you know, almost at the midway point of the season here now for the Edmonton Oilers, 41 games in, do you know what this team is this season under Jay Woodcroft? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they're a highly inconsistent team that uh, can can score usually enough to win. I mean, they've been in the top five, top six in goals for per game pretty much all season. They have a chance to have the best power play in NHL history, at least since they formally started keeping the stat in the late 70s. I mean, they're over 30%. And they are not a great defensive team. And that's not just on the goaltending and the defensemen. That's on how they defend uh, as five men units on the ice. So I, I earlier in the season, I would have given you the same answer, but probably believed more that the Oilers were, were capable of being better than that. Quite frankly, unless they change some personnel, I, I don't think they will be. Um, and, and we've seen it even in the last four, well, for, and second of all, they're a terrible home team. I mean, they're, they got a bottom 10 of home record in the NHL. They're below 500 at home. They're quite good on the road. So it's probably good. These next four games are away from home, but we, we even saw it over the course of this, uh, this homestand. Um, they got up to nothing on Seattle and then got absolutely pummeled the rest of the way. That was on Tuesday. Wound up losing, uh, I think it was five, two in that game, then jumped all over the New York Islanders. Uh, got a lead, pretty much controlled the game, and, and got a win and looked really good. And then for most of the night on Saturday, we're outclassed by the Colorado Avalanche, who were missing a ton of players. 
uh, but the Oilers rarely had the puck. Their power play came through, and they and Stuart Skinner was excellent in net, and they got into overtime and got a point. So that's that kind of sums up how this season goes for the Oilers. They'll have a night where they they look really strong, where they look like okay, they figured things out, and they're maybe uh, getting into a groove like they did in the second half of last season. And then it'll go right back to like, yep, they just they just don't have it. They can't defend. They don't have enough depth up front, and all the problems that have sort of plagued them the last few years. Is Evander Kane's eventual return enough to to sort of stem the tide when it comes to that, or are we still talking about a team that's going to go through the same problems even if Evander's in the lineup? Uh, I don't think he'll he'll fix the main problems. He will help. Don't get me wrong. I mean he he's he's been an excellent player since he joined the Oilers. If he comes back from the injury anywhere close to what he was before, he's going to be pretty good. I, I mean he's as much as people talk about Evander's uh, scoring and his toughness. He's actually a better checker than I thought he was. And he kills penalties better than I thought. So he will help. Uh, and sure. If he'd played all these games, if he, you know, he, he's missed over half the season up to this point. I mean, sure. Is he worth a win or two? I, I don't have any problem saying that because he's, he's pretty good. And you look at some, close games the Oilers have lost and you think well maybe that's the game Kane would have scored in so he will help he will you know give them even more options with their top six but does he really help a lot in the defensive end sure the 18 or 20 minutes he plays he's going to help a bit but he doesn't help the the time that he's not going to be on the ice so yeah I, I think his return will be a welcome one and it might even be as soon as the last two games of this month. Who knows? If not, I think he's back right after their bye week or the all-star break there. Um, he's a noticeable absence. But I, again, I don't want to take that too far. I mean, the Colorado Avalanche have not had Landeskog. They didn't have McKinnon for a bunch of times. They came in here on Saturday uh, without Nakushkin, without Byram. Uh, I can't even remember all their injuries, but it was like four or five key guys who no doubt would be in the lineup mm -hmm. and and they still won and they're still I mean I mean basically if you look at points percentage Colorado Calgary and Edmonton are all within you know I think 0.10 of each other so it's it's or point zero one zero of each other so that's so that's pretty close so the the, the Kane not being in the lineup is a factor but I think it only goes so far to to explain things for the Oilers. So as we approach, you know, everybody's in the midst of, of pro and amateur scout meetings the next couple of weeks here, Reed, and as far as I see, whenever, whenever I hear about Oilers Twitter, I get into, you know, seeing things after Saturday night's loss to Colorado. So much of it comes down to, or at least the fan base in my mind is coming down to, the GM needs to make a move to make this team better. But you know as well as I do, first of all, it's easier said than done at this time of year. And I wonder... Just given what you've said so far, do you think there's a move out there that fixes what ails the Edmonton Oilers at this time of year? Or is it really something that has to be done in the offseason and talking about a, a major change and not simply a rental or a guy that's available off of a team that's not going to be contending? Well, I think it is 100% vital that Ken Holland makes a move or moves between now and the trade deadline. Okay. This is not in in my mind this is not a wait until the off season scenario. No way. And I think this quite frankly the next 7 or 8 weeks however long we have to the trade deadline could very well be what define Ken Holland as the Oilers general manager. 
whenever you know whenever we're reflecting on his tenure five or ten years from now. Quite frankly, if Ken Holland doesn't make an effective move in the next few weeks, I have serious doubts that he will be the general manager next season for the final year of his contract. That's how vital I think it is. Um, you know, it, the, the, what they need is clear. Now, and, and you're right, it's easier said than done. I mean, you know what it's like hosting a show. You get trade proposals all the time. I think with the exception of Connor McDavid and Stuart Skinner, I have had a trade proposal for every single player on the Oilers roster this year, <laughs> yeah. including Leon Dreisaitl and Ryan Dugan Hopkins. Uh, I think we know some of those aren't overly realistic, but you know, could the first round pick be in play? I, I think it has to be. Uh, if you could upgrade on, uh, you know, and get, get a more solid defensive type defenseman, would you consider parting ways with Evan Bouchard or Philip Broberg? I, I think you would have to at this point. I, I mean, they can't always just be saying, well, we got to wait or, you know, we're in, we're in cap trouble. Like there has to be something that can be done. Now, the question is, would, would one or two changes uh, change the fortune of the Oilers that drastically? You know, given that they can't acquire a, you know, a six, seven, eight million dollar player. Um, I suppose not, but but then again, you know, if you're rounding out the roster and it's a guy who can just play that right role and be on the ice for those minutes when you need him, it it could add up to a to a big difference. I, I mean, we get a lot of questions about Chikrin, appealing player. I I I don't know if that's exactly what the Oilers need, though. I, I think they need a little bit more beef on the back end. Mm-hmm. I think Edmondson out of Montreal is appealing. I know there's been a lot of talk that he's not having a good year. And I always say to that, maybe, or is it just he's, you know, a defenseman who plays a lot on a, on a not a very good team? I mean, they've had games where he's been the only veteran defenseman addressed, right? You know, Gavrikov's name out of Columbus gets thrown around, and, and who knows? Maybe there's some other move like that, that that the Oilers can make. But I think on the back end, I mean, the Oilers need beef. That's basically what it comes down to. You And here's the thing. You can look at the depth scoring all you want, and criticize it and say, yes, he pulled and Kyler Yamamoto and Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogel, specifically those four don't score enough. And you'd be right. Having said that the Oilers score enough goals, even with their big five, if I include a healthy Evander Kane, they score enough with those guys getting about three quarters of their goals. I'm going to give you a stat from the playoffs last year. The Oilers beat the flames in five games. The big five, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Kane, and Hyman, scored 80% of the Oilers' goals in that series. And they won four of the five games. And I believe they scored six goals in the game that they lost. So even if they're just defending, even if they're just depending on a, on a small handful of players to score the goals, they actually score enough. So what, what they need is a, a defenseman who can stop the cycle and hit a little bit, and probably a forward. I mean, almost another forward like the clean Costin player they got from St. Louis yeah. in a trade that seemed like a write-off trade at the time, and he's actually been pretty good. Another player like that who can play with a little bit of physicality and, and kind of keep the other team the uh, heads up when he's out on the ice. But I, I, I think it's imperative Ken Holland do something. Maybe he's waiting to see how the team looks with Kane. Fair enough. Uh, I don't know if I would be that patient because they, I think you know it's been apparent for a while that they've uh, they've needed some sort of a defenseman. I mean, if Ken Holland doesn't do anything and this team misses the playoffs or flames out in the first round, 
that's a pretty big indictment of his his performance for this year. I wanted to ask you about a couple of individuals before we let you go here, Reed, and uh, the, the two that come to mind off the top of my head. Obviously, the goaltending situation in Edmonton is as fascinating as any. Stuart Skinner has come in and has just played tremendous. I don't have to tell anybody here in Calgary about how good he's been, especially in games uh, against the Flames. But, you know, you've given Jack Campbell a, a lengthy commitment here, and it's been a short time in Edmonton, and there's still plenty of time for him to figure it out. But it's an interesting spot that Jay Woodcroft has now, and it's it sounds as though he's just going to play with you know whoever's playing hottest and is playing best. It's your net, and we'll we'll go back and forth. How do you feel, and how do you sort of assess what you've seen with the Edmonton goaltending so far? Well, there's no doubt about it. Stuart Skinner is the number one goaltender. I, I mean, he's he started. Uh, I can't remember what it's up to. It might be. 15 of the last 20 might even be more than that. I'd have to check the game log, but he's starting about three quarters of the games. So, you know, it's funny. I I get the odd people usually from out of Edmonton. Oh, there's a goalie controversy. I'm like, no, there's actually no controversy. Skinner's the clear number one. Uh, I mean, I guess you can only make it a controversy because Campbell makes more money, but in terms of performance, there's, there is zero doubt about it. Campbell's played better in his last probably three or four starts. Um, but you know Skinner has has been the better goalie and uh, has the better save percentage and I guess their win loss record is is kind of fairly similar because uh, seems like they've scored a little more when Campbell's in the net but it's it is an interesting one you know Campbell's play you know sub 900 save percentage a, a couple games in which he he really looked uneasy he has changed some of his equipment so we'll see if that helps here going forward it'd be nice if it were more of a split and you kind of felt more comfortable with more guys but I said to to my colleague Rob Brown on our on our post-game show after Saturday's game you know Skinner stopped 45 or 46 whatever it got up to uh, it's at the point with Skinner where you're almost surprised when the other team scores like you just expect him to stop everything even the grade a chances you know and then he gave Edmonton every every chance to win that game against the Avalanche now, big picture, if we're having this same conversation uh, a, a year from now and the Oilers are at the halfway point of the season and Skinner's played 32 games and Campbell's played nine, well, then it's a bad contract for Campbell. I mean, you, you know, I, speaking of the trade proposals, I mean, we get calls about Campbell. Uh, we'll trade him. We'll put him on waivers. We'll buy him out. Well, you can't realistically do any of those. I mean, I guess you could waive him and send him to the minors. Um, but he's still better than the goalies the Oilers have in the minors. And what if he goes to the minors and doesn't play well? What's that going to do for his confidence? So it's Skinner right now. He's played really well, and you, and you just continue to wait for Campbell to maybe uh, perform a little better. And uh, last but not least, uh, we've talked about it a couple of times in this, but uh, the start of the California road trip here for uh, the Edmonton Oilers and then into Vegas on Saturday. How important is this next four games uh, for the, the group in Edmonton? Obviously trying to chase down uh, playoff spot in the wild card of the Pacific, but LA sitting there in front of them. We know San Jose and Anaheim are, are near the bottom of the standings in the West. Just how how big are these next four for Edmonton Reed? Yeah, well, they put themselves in that position, right, where games in the middle of January are pretty vital because they didn't bank enough points in the first half of the season. It'll be interesting to see how it goes against LA tonight. The Kings won in Edmonton earlier in the season and really were really very physical on the Oilers, probably as much as any team has been this season. They got a jump on Anaheim and San Jose. Uh, Anaheim did beat them earlier this season behind a great goaltending performance by uh, Lucas Dostal, though uh, the Oilers still made some mistakes in that game. So, 
you, you kind of uh, put yourself in a position where you got to beat the struggling Ducks, and they do still have four games against the San Jose Sharks. But again, you you got to, I mean, you got to win at least three of those, right, to bank those points because most teams are beating the Sharks. The Vegas, the Oilers usually play pretty good in Vegas, so I know I'm looking ahead to the end of the road trip. Yeah, but yeah, these are big games. You know, when the Oilers have made the playoffs in years past. They, they've usually had a good record within the division. I can't remember what was last year, but they only, I think they only lost five games within the Pacific Division. Yeah, so it's going to be important to keep that kind of record heading into uh, tonight. Reed, thanks for the time on a game day. I know it's a late one tonight, but still appreciate the time as always. Have a great uh, game tonight, and we'll chat with you down the road soon. Okay, see ya. Take care. Reed Wilkins, 630 Ched, host of uh, Oilers Now and uh, the Oilers post-game show, Oilers and Kings. The late game tonight uh, in the NHL, the uh, Oilers set to take on four straight Pacific Division opponents. And uh, as you heard from Reed there, it's been an inconsistent group at best this year in Edmonton. They're fighting right with the Calgary Flames when it comes to finding a spot in either the playoffs uh, for the Pacific Division or for the wild card. And uh, would go a big, uh, it will go a long way, I should say, for the Edmonton Oilers if they're able to find a way to pick up a majority of points on this road trip. Starts tonight in L.A., then to Anaheim, San Jose, and into Vegas this week. Then they also have Seattle next week. They see the Vancouver Canucks next Saturday. So plenty of divisional games coming up for the Edmonton Oilers as they look to make some noise uh, as far as hockey goes here in Calgary. Flames falling 4-3 to the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime last night. We'll head back to United Center after the break. Hear from the head coach, Daryl Sutter, and a couple other Flames members following the loss They are uh, set now to head to St. Louis for two straight against the Blues. More reaction from the Flames and the Blackhawks from last night. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour two rolls on. Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Thanks for tuning in. Quick reminder... You can get the show or any of our shows here on Sportsnet 960, wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher, or you can enter the website, sportsnet.ca slash 960. On the show today, we've chatted some NFL with Zig Fricasi, Flames, Blackhawks with Pete Labardius, and a little bit of Edmonton Oilers hockey as well with Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched. Uh, it is Logan Gordon along with you. Last uh, segment of the hour before we hand things off to the Hockey PDO cast. Cam, Taylor, and Noah in the other room today. I've been so busy I haven't had a chance to uh, to chat with my dynamic production duo. Hello. Hello, Cam. How's it going, buddy? Living the dream. Taylor, how are we? You know, uh, this morning was a little hectic. I'm going to be honest. Uh, now, was that work-related? Oh, yes. We'll just blame our boss. Okay. Sounds good. That's uh, that's what we always do here. If uh, if it was a long news, our boss's fault. So, uh, Art, long morning for Taylor. That one's on you. Uh, Flames fall 4-3 to the Blackhawks last night. What did we think last night, Cam? I thought um, pretty disappointing defensive effort and... It's never a good look when you lose to the the last team in the NHL. Yeah, I I didn't catch that whole game. Every time I turned it on, I had to turn it off because we were losing to the Blackhawks, and so I just I didn't want to witness that with my sure. own eyes. Yeah, sure. 
Um, yeah, I don't know how that happens. You know, I think, I mean, we can blame it on the Harlem Globetrotters as much as we want, but I think it's just, I don't know, effort. I don't know. I don't have enough hockey words in my <laughs> lingo to, we didn't put pucks deep enough, you know? Yeah, didn't get enough, didn't get enough pucks deep. Didn't hit the glass hard no, enough, you know? didn't do all those things. Shots on goal. No, and it's, look, I think your, your overall point is, you know, how does that happen is one that a lot of Flames fans are, are probably asking today. I, I saw so, plenty of it on social media last night and into today that, you know, it is frustrating when you see this team play at their best. You sit there and think, yeah, this is a team that that can do things that we want them to do. And that's, you know, be in a good position in the playoffs and maybe win a round or two. But then by the same accord, you go and you sort of lay an egg last night and you can't, you can't do that. And then, you know, you're thankful you got the point and that's great, but that's a good spot to start a road trip off. Right. And the playing down to your opponent thing is one that I, I don't know how to fix. I think the coaching staff doesn't know how to fix. I, I do not think it's a, a question of preparation for, for this group as a whole, knowing how well Daryl puts his, his group in a position to succeed. But you just you can't. If you, I think if you want to be in a true contender status, games like last night can't happen, and it's a frustrating one for for the Flames. It's going to be a frustrating one for Jacob Markstrom, who leaves the game, you know, seconds into the second period, and for the most part, I think over the last month plus, has played pretty good hockey, and in some instances, didn't have a great team effort around him. But when you only make eight saves on eleven shots. Yeah, it's going to be hard to expect you to stay in the game at that point. So uh, let's head back to Chicago. I promised you hear from a couple of uh, people from last night, including the head coach, uh, Daryl Sutter. And in case you missed it, Cam's uh, Harlem Globetrotters reference will make a lot more sense after you hear uh, from the head coach. Here's Daryl Sutter speaking to the media following his team's loss to Chicago. Daryl, maybe just uh, can you take us through this one, give it your assessment here tonight? Uh, should win. Take one penalty, score two power play goals, only give up a handful of shots, should win the game. Why do you think you didn't? Because they scored the goal in overtime, make it 4-3. You make uh, you make a goalie change uh, at that point. I mean, did you like the response after that, obviously? Well, Jonathan scored right away, so I made it 3-2. But, you know, you're still it's, – it's hard to score four goals and then hockey games. As this game goes along, I mean, are you are you happy with the way the third period goes? I mean, I'll, I'll find a goal, but just you know what, we got to take the point. Right? We didn't skate yesterday because the Harlem Globetrotters were playing in our building. We had to travel, and we couldn't skate this morning because six o'clock game. We better be thankful that we we got a point, considering that a lot of our young players uh, didn't show up, lack of preparation. Right? Got taken by the hand. Some of these guys. Is that just a learning curve? been in the league for one to six years, some of them, so is that just a lack of preparation? Before the change made to spark the team, or was it no, you No, no, their goaltender was out playing ours at that time. It was evident on the scoreboard, shot clock. As the head coach, Daryl Sutter, a couple points there. First one is, yeah, you should have won. Second one that a lot of people have latched onto was the, hey, we didn't get to skate. Globetrotters were at the Dome. Early game. 
We didn't get to skate in Chicago. Some guys weren't ready to go. And then lastly, the Jacob Markstrom, Alex Stalock one. I'm not, I won't throw all of it. I know Markstrom's been a, an easy target this year. I won't throw it all on Markstrom last night by any means. But I, I do think that given how early the hook came in the second, I, I would wonder if if Daryl was a little more honest that maybe it was a bit to spark the team, sort of get them woken up into the second period. It, it worked. They They would tie the game up and head to overtime. But that third period, just not good enough. The second was by far their best period, and not enough gets done for this team. It's another game where they shoot the lights out on the scoreboard, uh, or they shoot the lights on the shot clock, I should say, but not on the scoreboard. It's been a constant theme of quantity, not quality for this team whenever they get around that 40-shot mark. And last night was 47 shots. The one area where they do need to shoot more was the power play. That was successful. They go two for three last night on the power play. And the shooting mentality certainly needs to come in there. But are they they doing enough to get quality chances elsewhere? Clearly not. And the rest of this road trip will you know, go a long way to to showing you what kind of team this Flames group is. It's not an easy one. You've got two straight in St. Louis against a a Blues team that at times looks great and at times looks lost. So what are you going to get in those next two games? You don't have any travel in between. You can settle in in St. Louis where they are today and get set for those two games against the Blues. Could we potentially see some, some lineup changes? According to Danny Austin, the post-media, it did sound as though Walker Dewar got a pretty good run at practice with Adam Ruzichka and Trevor Lewis on a potential fourth line. Uh, Jacob Pelche was really just subbing in for Dylan Dubé on the first line in his spot with Toffoli and Lindholm. Probably more of an indicator that he's not expected to be in the lineup as soon as maybe Dewar is, but wait and see until the game day comes. Morning skate, usually a good indication of where the coach is going to go. Two in St. Louis, an afternoon affair Saturday against the Dallas Stars, and then into Nashville next Monday. That's what's next for the Calgary Flames. Uh, over to the NFL, we chatted a bit about this with Zig Fricasi of Sirius XM NFL Radio in Hour 1, but wanted to uh, go through some of the news of the day in the NFL. The biggest news of all coming uh, out of Cincinnati and in regards to Bill's safety, DeMar Hamlin, he has been uh, released from UC Medical Center in Cincinnati and is now on his way back to Buffalo and will continue his care uh, in uh, hospitals around uh, the Buffalo area. So that's uh, great news. A couple of the doctors... Uh, at UC Medical with updates today, saying that DeMar worked his first lap around the hospital Friday. He's on a normal to accelerated trajectory. He watched the Bills game yesterday in their win against New England from the hospital. Bills ran in the opening kickoff. Naeem Hines goes in for the touchdown, and he was setting off all sorts of alarms because, of course, 
is in intensive care. They're monitoring his heart rate. They want to make sure he's doing okay. He just had a major cardiac event. And here he is watching his team on Sunday and getting extremely excited about it. And uh, what great news for the Buffalo Bills as they head into uh, a wild card game on Sunday. They will host the Miami Dolphins. And you know, uh, DeMar Hamlin, going to be very excited for that game. And clearly, uh, the Bills, who were already, in my mind, Super Bowl favorites in a lot of people's minds uh, as well. I wonder whether that extra motivation to get it done for their teammate uh, is going to play into this. We'll see. Uh, DeMar Hamlin is uh, back on his way to Buffalo. In case you missed it, he's been released from UC Medical Center in Cincinnati today. Other news around the NFL. Wondering about the future of Aaron Rodgers today. Uh, Many people making note after his Sunday night loss to the Lions. Lions rookie wide receiver Jameson Williams comes up to Aaron and says, look, I got to get that jersey, man. We got to do a jersey swap. Rodgers says, "Uh, I'm going to keep this one. This one's special. Interesting that a Sunday night loss to the Lions would be interesting. It would classify it as a special jersey for Aaron Rodgers. He sort of talked about it post-game and just said, oh, there's just something about Lambeau, Week 18, night game. Some of these jerseys just mean a little bit more. Wouldn't go further enough to say that, hey, you know, I'm keeping this one because it's my last one. But there were a couple indications, including this final answer in his press conference yesterday that have a lot of people wondering about the future Hall of Famers' career plans following this season. This is it, Aaron. Last one. Is it last time out there, last time here? What are you going to miss? I'm going to miss your questions, Bill. (laughs) And Mike Clemens taking 10 seconds to do a lead up. And Pete angling for something. And Bob writing stories about my personal life. <laughs> You've been good lately, though. Thanks. And Jason bringing it back home with something that's kind of heavy hitting. Stephanie Sutton coming out of left field. The good question. I miss the guys. I miss the fans. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like a guy that's ready to hang him up. Taylor, does that sound like a guy that wants to play football next year to you? I mean, he probably wants to play football, but is he going to play football? Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, that was, you know, and Aaron likes to have fun, and that whole answer is 90%. Him just, you know, taking shots at the media and having fun with guys, the people that cover the team, but it's the last five seconds of it that matter. Right? Who says, you know, I'm going to miss the fans and I'm going to miss the guys? It, and it's, it's in the moment. It's always tough. These last, you know, pre, the last game press conferences, I always encourage everyone to just wait a bit because the emotion is so raw for these guys that it's hard to think of anything else. And
and in the moment what Aaron says and what he's feeling and what he's thinking is probably vastly different than what he really wants to to be as an NFL player going forward. So we'll see. I don't know entirely what his future is. It's a disappointing year for the Packers to miss the playoffs. As we've talked about many times, how long do you run with Jordan Love as the backup there before finally giving him a chance? I, I think it's a lot easier to do that in a year like this year where Aaron Rodgers wasn't an MVP candidate. But it's clearly going to be hard for anybody like Aaron Rodgers to walk away from that franchise and to walk away from football. Aaron Rodgers does not strike me as the Tom Brady type that is willing to jump ship to another organization for for two or three years just to you know, maybe stick it to what remaining doubters he may or may not have out there. It, it it sounds like a guy that's ready to be done. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. Whether the Packers want that to happen or not, we're not sure. As long as Aaron Rodgers is playing and given everything that he's accomplished, it comes with a significant price tag. Another difference between Rodgers and Brady has been that Brady's taken less money during his career to be the team guy. Aaron hasn't really done that. And first of all, I don't blame him for doing that, by the way. That's not a knock on him. I'm just saying if it's 40 or $50 million, you can do a lot to other areas of your team if you switch that salary to what Jordan Love is making. A couple other interesting uh, NFL situations going on right now. Coaching, obviously a big one as the NFL season's wrapped up in the last 24, 48 hours here. We've seen lots of teams looking for coaches, some that are just entering that stage of their offseason, including the Texans and the Arizona Cardinals. Houston fires Lovey Smith yesterday. The Cardinals let go of Cliff Kingsbury today. Here's uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport uh, with the latest on the situations in Houston and in Arizona. It was a big win yesterday for the Houston Texans, then a big loss last night for Lovey Smith, officially fired, flew home, landed in Houston, drove straight to the office, heard the news from owner Kyle McNair and general manager Nick Casario, a one-and-done in Houston for the second year in a row. It was David Coley last year, it was Lovey Smith this year, and just a lot of frustration overall with the building of the team. Obviously, the record was what it was. Inconsistent quarterback play, a lot of young players on the roster, but just not enough uh, not enough progress, I would say, for, for Lovey Smith. So he is now out. Nick Casario going to run the search, and two top candidates I would keep an eye on, Jonathan Gannon from the Eagles, D'Amico Ryans from the San Francisco 49ers. Meanwhile, the Denver Broncos already have a coaching search. We know that. They are off and running. And obviously one of the biggest candidates there, Sean Payton, the still technically Saints coach, still under contract with them for two years, was hanging out in the set of Fox with Peter Schrager yesterday, detailing a lot of this. He's already spoken with the owner. He is going to interview with the Broncos. And the interesting thing here, guys, is my understanding is the Broncos and Saints are already in a good place when it comes to compensation. Saints are going to want at least a one. The Broncos have not blinked. 
Meanwhile, the Broncos are also set to interview Jim Harbaugh, the still Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh, and of course talk to friends across the league and in college football. They believe at least that his flirtation with, with the NFL is serious. That said, Michigan could make this all go away if they give him a big money extension, but all of that will play out over the next couple of days. Ian Rappaport, uh, NFL Network. Uh, correct myself, that was uh, about the Lovey Smith situation and the Broncos head coach uh, search right now, which apparently involves every big name out there that you can think of. D'Amico Ryans, Sean Payton, Jim Harbaugh have all been discussed. The interesting point in, in that clip there from Ian Rappaport is that the line of Saints and Broncos apparently compensation won't be an issue. Saints want a one, and by one he means a first-round draft pick. And the Broncos haven't flinched from that. That's a really important piece of news for Broncos fans who are looking towards the future and understand that their current first-round pick belongs to the Seattle Seahawks, who are in the playoffs this weekend, and currently sits at five overall. Now, Denver still has a first-round pick in this upcoming draft from San Francisco. So that's important to remember that they're not out of the first round yet. It's just as of this point, they don't know when that'll be. San Francisco is a division winner. They're 13-4. and four. That pick could go anywhere from 19 to, to 32. So are the Broncos really willing to completely exit the first round if it means getting Sean Payton as their next head coach. That would be a bold move for a Denver team. And look, I don't know if the talent's not there in Denver. I thought heading into the year, they were going to be a good team. They had a a head coach who was clearly incompetent and overwhelmed by the situation in Nathaniel Hackett. We've seen in a situation like Jacksonville, how quickly things can change when you have somebody that knows what they're doing. Is it enough for Denver to completely get out of the first round and not add any top-end talent, at least in the first round of the draft, around Russell Wilson and co. going forward? That's a big, that's another big all-in move on Russell Wilson if that's the road that the Broncos go down. The first one was giving up the first-round pick and package to the Seahawks for him. Now you have to go out and find the right coach for him, and that could potentially cost you another first-round pick. It would all be on Russ. Sean Payton's been on Fox and on different networks. Over the last year or so, he's talked. He's been asked directly what he would do to fix Russell Wilson. He's had a great quarterback in his tenure with Drew Brees, but they're different players. 
Does that can that translate to another year in Denver? I don't know. But I tell you, it's a massive, massive move if that's the decision by the Denver Broncos that not only have we invested a first round pick more in Russell Wilson, we're now willing to invest another first round pick in acquiring a coach to hopefully fix what ails Russell Wilson. We'll see what happens. They're connected to plenty of big names. As Ian said there, it does sound as though they are likely to interview and have uh, talks together, the Broncos and Sean Payton, and who knows if it does wind up being that first-round pick that they talked about. Last piece of news, uh, did want to get more on that context from the Cardinals. They fire Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, Here's Ian Rappaport on that situation as well. One year after Cliff Kingsbury signed a big-time multi-year extension, he has been fired by owner Michael Bidwell. A frustrating year in Arizona, to be sure. And while this is a firing, in other words, Cliff Kingsbury gets to keep all the money left on his contract, I I would describe this, Tom, as a little more of a mutual parting. Cliff Kingsbury did not seem like he was having very much fun in Arizona this year. It was a struggle all the way through from the on-field result to the relationship with Kyler Murray, the quarterback, to all sorts of turnover on his coaching staff. And, of course, there's the fate of general manager uh, Steve Keim, who took a health-related leave of absence. And this one, I would say, for owner Michael Bidwell, uh, starting over makes a lot of sense. Now, Tom, I I know that they're obviously going to do a search here, but I would not be surprised if Vance Joseph emerges as a prime candidate here, just considering... The way this has gone, and and you know certainly as respected as he is in the building. Cardinals finished the season losing seven in a row, four and thirteen. They will select number three overall in the twenty twenty three NFL draft. And when uh, that clip came out from Ian uh, Rapport of NFL Network, uh, the news hadn't come down, but it has now. Steve Kime, who he mentions there, Cardinals GM left the team for health reasons during the season. Uh, He is out as GM, so it will be a full front office search for the Arizona Cardinals before the draft. They will need a new GM and a new head coach as they head into the future. That was announced by owner Michael Bidwell this afternoon. He also went as far as to say that Kyler Murray, the star quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals, is going to have input on their head coaching search. That's an interesting one for a guy that has gone back and forth with the Cardinals over the last year in contract disputes. Clearly him and Cliff Kingsbury weren't on the same page anymore, but the Cardinals owner going to let the head coach come in, uh, are going to let the star quarterback have a, a pretty big impact on their head coaching search. And obviously the GM's got lots of work to do. And that number three overall pick will become very important to Arizona Uh, The top of the draft, incredibly interesting for a number of reasons because a lot of teams that are heading into the draft that are at the top don't always need, don't need quarterbacks this year. Thanks to Lovey Smith and the Texans winning their last game, that pushed them out of that top spot. Chicago now owns number one. Arizona owns number three. Justin Fields just finished his best year in the NFL and looks like he could be the starter going forward for the Chicago Bears. So if you pick at one, if you're the Bears, you're probably not taking a quarterback. That's okay news for the Houston Texans. 
who need a quarterback because essentially somebody might be there. But there's also now the possibility that a team like Indianapolis, a team like Las Vegas or Atlanta or Carolina, who sit in the middle of the first round, you know, seven, eight, nine, sit there and go, well, Chicago doesn't need a first overall pick to get the quarterback they want. We do. So we're willing to give up a package to get that first overall pick, slide ahead of Houston, and get the quarterback that we want. It's happened before in the NFL. It'll happen again. But two of the top three teams in the draft as of today don't need a quarterback, and that's an interesting situation and one that we'll watch uh, as we head into the NFL offseason. Still more changes to come across the league, and of course we head into wildcard weekend on Saturday with a great slate of games. It gets going Seahawks and 49ers Saturday afternoon. Saturday night, you're going to see the Chargers in Jacksonville getting set to take on the Jaguars. It's a huge battle between two young stars in the NFL, Herbert taking on Lawrence at the quarterback position. And then Sunday, three games, you've got the Bills and the Dolphins. No word yet on whether Tua Tungavailoa is going to be ready or not for that game. Giants take on the Vikings in Minnesota. And you've got the Ravens and Bengals AFC North matchup between those two teams. And uh, as the NFL does now, they stretch it into Monday. You'll have the Cowboys in Tampa Bay getting set to take on Tom Brady and the Bucks. Uh, that'll do it for hour two here on Sportsnet today. Uh, we'll hand things off to Dmitry Filipovich and the Hockey PDO cast coming up next. Reminder, you can get the show wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, etc. Thank you to Peter Labardius, Zig Fricasi, and Reed Wilkins for joining the program today. Thank you to Cam and Taylor, our outstanding production team. Uh, Hockey PDO cast is next. Don't miss Flames Talk with Pat coming up a little bit later. We'll be back tomorrow on a Flames game day. Flames and Blues, you can keep it locked here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.